Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. What a fitting day and what a fitting passage to recognize um, the gift of those children today. You know, the person who said that the best things in life are free probably never had children, right? (laughs) Probably never had children, right? Children are, are truly one of the best things in life. Amen? Man, listen, I thank God for all five of mine. And oftentimes I wish that I had more, but boy, they are not free. They are not free. Just a few years back, the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, they estimated that the average parent will spend approximately $234,000 just to raise one child. $234,000 to raise just one child. That's the cost of a house. You know what I'm talking about? That number seems really big, and you know there are some awesome frugal moms right here in the room who are like, I could do it for half that cost. (laughs) That's the thing I love about moms, man. They love to be able to stretch that dollar. But nevertheless, that's a big number. Whatever the cost actually ends up being for your family, raising kids is a huge expense. Or is it? Or is it? If you were to take $234,000 and go buy a house with it, You wouldn't see that as an expense. You would see it as an investment. If you were to take $234,000 and take it and and put it in a mutual fund, you wouldn't see it as an expense. You would see it as an investment. I want to say to you this morning, it's the same way with children. Whatever the final cost in, in your house, whatever it is, to raise that child from birth all the way up until 18 years old, Raising a kid is not a huge expense. Raising kids is a huge investment. So as we continue in our series on stewarding our time, talent, and treasure for God's kingdom in this series called Not Mine, But Thine, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at stewarding the treasure of money. But like I told you a few weeks ago, those are not the only treasures that God has given us. We're going to look at a different kind of treasure today, a third kind of treasure tomorrow, and then a fourth kind of treasure, uh, not tomorrow, but in next Sunday, and then the week after that. So we're going to end up looking at four different kinds of treasures that God has given you. So today we're going to look at stewarding the treasure of our children. And guys, they are indeed a a living treasure. So the title of today's message is A Quiverful. And the text for this message is one of my favorite ones in the Bible, Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5. So I want to invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of the Word of God as we think about the investment, the investment that God has given us in our children. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, Behold, beginning in the third verse, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. 
Father, we love your word, and we know that your word is the reality setter. God, we look at life, and we, we see what life brings, but you tell us what life means. And so, Father, today I pray that you would bring meaning into our life as we think about the gift of children, the presence of children. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God, we do ask that even today, God, that there's someone here who's never turned from sin, who right now walked in separated from you, Father, because they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Father, we're all sinners. But many of us in this room, Lord, have already met the Savior. But there are people here today who've walked in who are sinners in need of a Savior. And we pray that today would be the day that they would meet Jesus. God, I want to point them to Jesus. And I pray today would be the day they would turn from sin, trust in Christ, and be saved. Father, just move in our midst, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Grab your seat there. So here is today's topic as we kind of walk through this text here. Here's the topic. It's keys to stewarding the treasure of children for God's kingdom. Keys to stewarding the treasure of children for God's kingdom. Now, did you notice any in there in in, in Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5? I saw four of them. Now, again, these aren't all the keys to parenting, but they are four very important ones. And so the first key as we come to the text We think about stewarding the treasure of God's children or children of God or children for God. We see this is that children are to be seen as a gift and a reward. See children as a gift and a reward from God. That's explicitly what God teaches us here in this text, right? Look at verse 3 with us. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb a reward. Now, that word heritage right there can also be translated as an inheritance. Think about that rich uncle that you wish you had, (laughs) who has all the money in the world, and he's leaving you some of it. Think about that rich uncle, right? Children just like that, you would get that massive inheritance, that massive wealth coming from that rich uncle. Children are a massive gift of wealth from the Lord to parents. They're a gift from God. I think back to the quote from our first mother there in the Bible. At the birth of Cain, at the birth of Cain, Eve marvels there in Genesis 4.1. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I mean, she was amazed, right? I mean, she couldn't believe what just happened. A baby boy came from her body by the power of God. She was amazed by it. And let me just say, the birth of a child is indeed amazing. I was blessed to be there at the birth of all five of my children. And each time, listen, I cried like a baby, right? The baby was crying and I was crying. I mean, just, we were both there crying and Christy was crying. We were all there just crying. It was a fearfully wonderful, joyful time. At least the fruit of that was when that child came from Christie's body and placed him or her there on her breast. It was amazing every single time. What a gift, what a reward children are from God. And guys, that's how God 
sees them, right? That's, that, that's how God gives them. But sadly, as you well know, that's not how the world sees them. That's not how the world sees them. The world sees children not as a gift and a reward, but as a burden, as a problem to be overcome, as something to get rid of, to get out of the way. One of our former presidents several years ago, he, he kind of captured the mentality of the world as he was politicking for expecting mothers to be able to pay a doctor to murder their baby in their womb. He said, I've got two daughters, nine years old and six years old. I'm going to teach them, first of all, about values and morals. But if they make a mistake, I don't want them punished with a baby. That was the language that he used. I don't want them punished with a baby. And guys, that quote, even after a decade or more, it, it still resonates in my mind. And let me just say the sound booth is working on that ring. I hear it. and I know you guys hear it too. So, so just know the sound booth is working on that ring. He said, I don't want them punished with a baby. Unplanned pregnancies. Let's just be real, guys. They're a reality, right? Unplanned pregnancies are a reality. But are those babies a punishment? I know that right here at South Campus, there are several moms that could stand up and say, I didn't plan for this baby. It was an unplanned pregnancy, but they carried that baby to term, praise God. They gave birth to that baby. And I bet if you were to ask any of them if their unplanned child was punishment, I bet they would all say, are you kidding me? That baby was the best thing that ever happened to me. Listen, not to tell somebody else's story, because it's kind of my story, but not really my story. I stand before you as a child from an unplanned pregnancy. I'm a child of a mom in high school who did not plan to get pregnant. But I stand before you today. Was I punishment to my mama? Depends on the day, right, Don Bratcher? <laughs> Depends on the day. But seriously, no, no. I was a gift. Children are a gift. They're a reward. God defines our reality. God defines how we see things. And if God says that children are a gift and a reward, guess what? They are. They are every one of them. And we should see them as such. And since they are a good gift from God, we are to steward them well. We're, we're to see them not as ultimately ours, not mine, but thine, Lord. So if we're going to steward this treasure, we have to see this treasure as a treasure. See children as a gift and a reward from God. The second key that we see here in our text to stewarding the treasure of children for God's kingdom is to prepare children to be deployed into the battlefield of life. Prepare children to be deployed into the battlefield of life. Look at verse 4 in our text. This is really cool imagery. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now that might not speak to mama's hearts, but that speaks to daddies. That resonates with daddies. Your children are instruments of war. And if you got boys, you already knew that because like boys are programmed in the art of death and destruction, okay? Little girls, you know, they just, and all that stuff. But boys, they're ready to tear some stuff up. But I'm not talking about physical warfare. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. 
Your children are instruments of war to bring to bear in the spiritual battle on this earth. They are arrows in the hand of a warrior. But arrows don't grow on trees. Arrows don't just fall out of the sky. Arrows have to be prepared. Now, when you and I think about bows and arrows, we typically think of like American Indians. We think of like Native Americans, don't we, right? Bows and arrows. One of the most famous arrow makers was a man who literally was, was, was um, he was sort of, um, the headline of him or what was known about him was he was basically lauded as the last wild Indian. In 1911, in Northern California, a member of the Yahi tribe named Ishi walked out of the forest, out of the wilderness there, and began to interact with people. He had been isolated. He had never interacted with society at all right there in 1911. And so he began to talk to anthropologists and other people um, who were interested in these sorts of things. And they began to document all of the ways that Ishi lived. He was like a living, walking museum specimen in one sense. Bringing the Stone Age into the 1900s. And one of the things that they documented a whole lot was how, 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 he would, how he would make arrows, right? It was really studied. It was documented heavily. The first part to making an arrow is, is, is making the shaft. You got to go out. You got to find the right wood. And so he would choose, Ishi would choose hazelwood. That was his favorite wood to make an arrow with. And he would go out and he would find straight shoots about so long, about three-eighths inch in diameter, and he would cut it off at about a yard's length. And then he would take his thumbnail and he would shave all of the bark off of that piece of wood to make that shaft. And he would always do five of those. And he would bundle them together with leather, lay them out so that they could dry. Then he would take them after they were dried and he would cut this long groove in the foreshaft that he would later fix an arrowhead to. And then he would gather eagle feathers or, or buzzard feathers or hawk feathers from the wings, not from the tail. He didn't like the tail feathers. He liked the wing feathers of one of those birds to make the fletchings. And so after it was all dried and all ready to go, he would take and he would attach with deer sinew that he would strip from the hind legs of a deer and would chew until the sinews were soft. And he would wrap those fletchings around that arrow to fix them to the arrow. And he would take that arrowhead and he would fix it to the arrow. In fact, Listen, Ishi was so advanced in his arrow making that he would actually have interchangeable foreshafts. He would have a shaft and then he'd have an interchangeable foreshaft where he could put in for small game, big game, large game. I mean, it was just amazing what he did there. And so he did all this. He, and then he would take it and he would paint this arrow so that it was beautiful. It was a work of art. It wasn't just an, art of, or an artifact of war. It was a piece of art. Guys, that took skill. It took trial and error. Think about how many arrows didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to turn out. It took a lot of time. So I just say to you this morning, arrows are made. They're not something that just occurs automatically. And guys, we have to see our children in the same way. We take those rough materials that they're born with. And then we work them and mold them and shape them and grow them so that they become arrows in the hand of a warrior. We have to work to make them arrows. 
We have to work to make sure that they're strong and straight. We have to make sure that they're sharp and that they fly right. We have to work to make sure that they're ready to make an impact on this world. And that's not ultimately the job of their teacher at school or their coach at school. That's not ultimately the job of their youth pastor or children's director. It's ultimately the parent's job. But I would also say this, it's also ultimately the parent's joy. That's one of the most beautiful things for those of you who are on the other side. You've raised children and you see the type of man, the type of woman that they are. And you sit back and you wonder, I don't know how they turned out that way. But you thank God for all the work that you poured into them and you're thankful for who they are. They have to be prepared to be deployed into the battlefield of life. And you only get 18 years, basically. And you're like, 18 years? I mean, we've got men and women right now in basic training, and that's just a few weeks. And we're supposed to send them out into battle. You get 18 years. And that seems like a long time until they get to be about 15 years old. And you realize, oh my goodness, 18 years goes like that. So you got to begin now. No matter how old your children are right now, you have to begin now to pour into them, that you can make them arrows. And I want to say to you guys that wherever they are right now, meet them where they are and begin to work with them so that there would be arrows in your hand, that you might take them back and send them out into the world. How do you prepare them? Well, you have to aim higher than just train them to be good citizens. And we all want that for our kids, right? Like, like a, a parent's dream is that they actually grow up and get their own house and stuff like that, right? <laughs> okay? Now, we want them to be good citizens. We want them to get a job. We want them to pay their taxes. We want them to never go to jail. We want all those things. But we as Christians, we have higher aims than that. We're aiming that they would endure this world for Jesus Christ until the end. We're aiming that they would not only just endure this world for Jesus Christ until the end, but they would impact this world for Jesus Christ. So we've got to help them to get a solid foundation. They need to know what they believe and why they believe it. And that's got to come from home. Again, I'm thankful for the children that are in this service right now. But they're only going to hear about 15 minutes of what I have to say. If you bring them on Wednesday night, they're only going to get really about 15 more minutes. So about 30 minutes a week is what the church is coming alongside parents and really pouring into your children. And the rest of the week is you, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, great-grandmas and great-grandpas. That's you. You get to come in and be the bulk of where they learn to believe what they should believe and why they are to believe it. But we got to go again a step further. Because particularly when they grow up and get on their own, they go off to college or they go off into the workforce, they've got to be able to not just know what they're supposed to believe and why they believe it, but they've got to be able to defend it. Because you better believe. You better believe the enemy's coming for them. As soon as they step out from under the protection of your home, the enemy's coming for them. And they have to be ready to defend their faith. But finally, we're not aiming just for them to have faith and to defend their faith, but we want them to share their faith, to know what they believe and why they believe it, and share that with other people. Guys, that's what it means to be an arrow in the hands 
of a warrior. We are deploying them into the darkness of this world as warriors for Christ. Every one of you, moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, great-grandmas, great-grandpas in this room right now, you are warriors for Christ if you're a Christian. You are a warrior for Christ. And your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are arrows in the hands of a Christian warrior and will be aimed to shatter the darkness. And a parent who's a good steward will prepare them for this. The third key here tonight, or this morning, to stewarding the treasure of children for God's kingdom here in our text is to fill your home with children. This almost goes without saying, but we got to say it, right? Because the text says it. The text emphasizes this. Look there in Psalm 127, verse 5. Blessed is the man who's, who fills his quiver with them. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, I don't know what a quiver full is, <laughs> but it's probably more than just one or two. But again, that's the typical American. The fertility rate right now, think about this in America, is 1.7. And what that means is that on average... Parents in America have 1.7 children, which from a sociological perspective is disastrous. Like, it's dangerous. That's a dangerous fertility rate. Anything less than two in a society is a dangerous fertility rate because one day um, the, the, the population is going to flip upside down and there won't be those to take care of the older generation. In order to simply maintain our current population, the average should be 2.1 children, but America on average has 1.7 children. And I want to say this morning, why is that? Well, the reason is because Americans have forgotten that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Americans have forgotten that blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And we see this in America, but what about the church? Oftentimes the church isn't much better in its thinking. Oftentimes we in the church, let's just be real, we're more American than we are Christian on this point. And so we fall into thinking like the world thinks. I'll never forget, 2008, we were there uh, getting prepped to, to, for Christy to deliver Elijah, our second child. And the anesthesiologist, you've probably heard the story if you've been here long, the anesthesiologist said, oh, this is your second child. Wow, that's great. I'm, I guess this is your last one then. We said, well, no, you know, we're just having a conversation. No, we're, we're thinking that we're going to have four. And I wish you could, I wish I had a video recording of her face. Like it went from like, what? I mean, that was the look on her face. She didn't say, what? But it, it, that was the look that she gave us. She said, four children. I can barely afford the one that I have. I could never afford four children. I mean, this is an anesthesiologist we're talking about here. And I don't know what they make, but it's pretty good. She said, I want to be able to give my children everything they want. And the whole conversation, it, it saddened me. You see, I, I came to realize over the years that one of the best gifts that you can give a child, give your child, is another brother or sister. You can't, I mean, that, that actually is, is one of those priceless gifts. It's one of the best gifts that you can give your child. And so how many children should you have? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, does it? 
the Bible does not tell us. It just tells us that you're blessed with a quiver full. And I'm not sure how big your quiver is. Let's just be real here. Everybody's quiver is different sizes. But my hope here is for every mom and dad at Eastwood would not just ask this question. How many children do I want to have? How many children do we want to have? Instead, I pray that they would go a step further and ask this question. How many children does the Lord want us to have? I'm not saying you should maximize your fertility, right? I'm not looking for a church full of duggers. Praise God if that happened. Some of you say, instead of saying, uh, praise God, you'd be like, oh me, right? <laughs> oh my. You know, I'm not saying you should maximize your fertility. What I'm saying, though, is that you should let the Lord be the Lord of your fertility. Again, that doesn't mean that you don't do family planning. It simply means this, that God should be in the decision making. He should be in the, whether or not you, you have another child. It, it should be a matter not just of conversation between the husband and the wife, but also a matter of conversation with God. God, would you like us to have another kid? Be open, guys, to the Lord's leadership. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Be open to the Lord's leadership in this area. For Christy and, and, and me, we thought our number was four. That's what we agreed on when we married and all those things. But when it, four came in 2011, our fourth child was born, um, we saw God again. We had met the number we thought we were going to have. Because we had all these things. It has to be an even number. And, you know, we want boys and girls. And, you know, I mean, we just had all these things that we brought in. Like parents do, right? You dream. Like, this is what I would hope to have. But we sought God. And we felt like God wanted us to have a fifth. And we were open to that. And so God did indeed bless us with a fifth child. Samuel. Benjamin, June 3rd, 2014, right after we moved here. And when we had our fifth, what did we do? We sought God again. And that time around, we, we really did feel like God said, Ben and Christy, your quiver's full. We, I mean, again, that, that was supposed to, again, I don't know what size your quiver is. The point is not how many children you have. The point is being open to have as many children as God wants you to have. Include God in the decision-making. Let the Lord be the Lord of your fertility. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, or, you not, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own body, for they were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So that means that your body... Every part of your body, your maleness and your femaleness, we'll, we'll leave it at that, belongs to God. And having babies is one of the ways that you glorify God with your body. God told Adam and Eve, think about this in Genesis 1.28. God's mandate to humanity is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply leads to having dominion over 
the earth. I'm speaking to Christians this morning, right? Why do the Muslims understand this and Christians don't? Could it be that oftentimes we're more American than we are Christian when it comes to having babies? The final key here, as we look at that third key of filling your home with children, the final key to stewarding the children or the treasure of children for God's kingdom in our text is to care for your children such that they care for you. I see that there in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. Care for your children such that they will care for you. Look at verse 5. It says, he shall be put, this is the man who has children, whose quiver's full. He shall, be, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What I think that means, as I think about the context of everything there, is that a man who has children has support. A woman who has children has support. There's somebody who has their back. Listen, I'm so thankful for, in the United States of America, I'm so thankful for social security, right? I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful that there's some monetary way for people, even in retirement, even when they're elderly, to be taken care of. But let me tell you this, the government is not coming to love and care for you as you grow old. Your children are going to do that. And I pray that you as a mom and a dad you would pour your heart into them. You would love them in such a way that when you grow old, they wouldn't think of anything else other than loving you and caring for you as you loved and cared for them. Some of you are in that stage right now where you're getting to do that for your mom and dad. And guys, I want to tell you it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I just went to a, a, a visitation for a church member at our East Campus, but it was someone that I knew pretty well. And I went, and as I went through that visitation line, I looked him in the eye and I said, You loved your mother well and cared for her. And guys, I want to say to you, for those of you, who are in that stage, I'm amazed by you. The way that you sacrifice, the way that you care, the way that you go out of your way to make sure that your mom and dad in their elderly ages are taken care of. And children, those of you who are not in that stage yet, like right now, mom and dad are taking care of you, guess what? One day, the table's going to be turned and we're going to be the ones that need help. And it's going to be your honor and privilege. And let me go a step further. Your duty to care for those that cared for you. And I just pray blessing over every person here. That your children will be the type of children that will love and care for you. That they will care for you the way that you cared for them. That you would be that leader by example for them. One day, a grandfather, he took his six-year-old grandson to the grocery. And this grandson watched as a sales clerk. He would scan purchases. And each item, as it was placed on the counter, the scanner, as it would beep, beep, would show how much that item costed. Well, the kid was curious how the system worked. And so 
he laid his wrist on the counter, and it didn't beep. And so he did that a time or two. And so finally the clerk said, listen, honey, it's not going to beep for you. You have to have a barcode for it to beep. And the grandson was puzzled, and so the grandfather took him to the side after that, and he said, listen, you don't have a barcode because you're priceless. I said earlier that the average cost for raising one child in America is $234,000. But in the end, that's an investment. And of course, above all, children are priceless. And I pray that we would all see that. Again, I know that there are people in this room that do not have children in their life. Maybe you want children. Maybe in your own life you, you've decided that's best for you to not have children. And you feel freedom from God, that that's the fact. Praise God for all of you. But this is the neat thing in the church community, is that we all get to come together and impact the next generation for Christ. And so you get to serve in all different ways to impact children. But here's my final prayer as we come to the end of this message. Remember, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Here's my final prayer. May hell tremble at the newborn cry of a child born to Christian Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, 
Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.